Woman. When you begin to look at this, it may um, commonly be known to some of you as spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation or simply what Jesus called the way. And really the basis for what we're talking about in this series is that as you've received Christ Jesus, like Colossians chapter 2 talks about in verse 6, walk with him. If Jesus has come into your life, as you've been formed by the world, formed by your surroundings, you can be then transformed as well, which is great news for all of us in this place. And so as we look at these disciplines and talk about these disciplines, we see that we're creating rhythms in our life. They're not for salvation, but from the reality, the truth that Jesus has changed you, that there's a new trajectory, a new direction in your life. And what we're at now, and if we can get this slide thrown up in here, is we're looking at the inward disciplines uh, that Richard Foster talks about in his book of Celebration of Discipline. And Carson went over this last week, inward disciplines of prayer, fasting, study, and meditation. And these inward disciplines tend to be those disciplines that you're doing more privately. It's like what Carson said last week, when you fast... Don't be like the hypocrites who paint their face all white to show everybody how holy they are. Or two weeks ago, Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees, but go and pray in your closet. Or in modern day terms, when you study, don't go with your biggest Bible to the coffee shop you know your pastor studies at as well, just to show how holy you may or may not be. I've never done that, right? These inward disciplines are inward transformation that are happening that then begin to move outward as we're going to see and what they look like in life. Very important for us because as these inward disciplines get into us, they begin to impact us in a way that is outward to where even our reactions and our actions, our facial expressions, our demeanor begin to change because of what God has done. Now, this morning, I want to open up with a story that may or may not have relevance, but I haven't shared it in a long time, and you need to hear it. I was about three or four years ago, and we were going to the middle of nowhere for a friend's bachelor party. Uh, Middle of nowhere, I mean like past Silver Lake, past Summer Lake, somewhere where I will not disclose, where I like to camp and fish, (laughs) okay? (laughs) And I was leading a bunch of my friends out there, and my uh, good friend, Trevor, him and I wanted to get a jump on the day and get in front of everybody, and we wanted to go fishing before anybody else got there and ruined everything for us. So we piled into my truck, and there was this hill we began to head up, and Trevor and I were having this intense conversation. This was like, I said, three or four years ago, talking about the metaverse before the metaverse was even being talked about, talking about AI, talking about you know trucks driving themselves and what's going to happen in the world. And we're having this serious, in-depth conversation, and he looks over at me, and my jaw is dropped, and I'm pretty much ghost white, just white-knuckled driving. And the car is silent. 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and he's like, what's wrong, man? And all I can do is point at our gauge on my dash, and the heat gauge is going up like this, just screaming up. So we get to the top of this hill. I put it in neutral, shut the truck off. I know this area well, and we drift down the hill and pull into a rest stop. And there in the rest stop, we get out to analyze the problem. 
And lo and behold, there's always a few heroes on the road. You know what I'm talking about? Like people who will just pull over and they want to help you fix any and everything. So our story is no different. As Trevor and I are kind of checking this thing out and seeing what's going on, we have a huge gaping hole in a radiator hose going to the engine block. Now, the dilemma is our friends are two and a half hours behind us. They're going to pick up the part we need, but we don't want to wait for them. So he goes over to this random store across the street to buy this tape that's supposed to, you know, tape up your radiator hose with a huge gaping hole. Well, just put that information aside for now. Our heroes that showed up happened to be a um, gal who I think just rolled out of Berkeley by her Subaru and granola in the back of her car. I'm just, I'm just going to judge hardcore, right? And she is, she's not a Christian. In fact, if she's religious at all, Trevor and I probably are going to eat her God that weekend as we barbecue, right? Like, shoot, <laughs> I said too much. So that's her. I mean, just polar opposite of us, but she's going to be a hero. It's awesome. And then this next guy, uh, he pulls up, and I'm pretty sure he just got out of a Trump rally. I mean, the guy is like head to toe, make America great again. His car is just covered in it. You couldn't have two polar opposites that showed up to help us. And as we begin to fix the truck, or what we thought was going to be fixing the truck, at one point, something goes wrong. And she says, Jesus Christ. And before she could get that out of her mouth, he goes, you leave him out of this. He had nothing to do with it. this is going to be good. (laughs) And as I ponder and reflect on that story, uh, there is something very important for us this morning. Both these people have this way they view the world. The way that she views the world, she's a good person who wants to help. He's a good person who wants to help, but they have very different backgrounds. And if you were to probably survey and talk with them and not just take a quick judgment like I obviously did in that moment, there would have been years of study that helped them arrive at their conclusions of why they believe what they believe, of why they don't believe the things that maybe the other person does believe. There would be years of study. When I say study, I don't just simply mean study of books or study of the Bible, but studying the world around them. Uh, studying actions and reactions and looking at certain circumstances and drawing conclusions from that, all leading up to a personal worldview in which you hold and then how you then go and participate in the world around you. People are constantly studying. And this morning, I get this great opportunity to talk to you about the discipline of study. Now, when you hear that word, study, I kind of wonder what comes up in your mind. Nightmares of college tests, right? High school. I had a professor at COCC. He was the best professor I had, and he was very honest. And he said, this class is pointless. It's a media class. He says, you're probably taking it because it looked like the easiest thing to take to fulfill this credit. It's 100% right. And he goes, this is called a pump and dump class. You pump the information in, you take a test, and you dump it, and you never think about it again. Lo and behold, it's the only thing I remember of what he said. (laughs) Pump and dump, right? Seventh grade, I went to a Christian school, 
and it was the most rigorous school I'd ever been in in my life. It prepared me for high school uh, totally, completely. Well, we had a project where they gave you, at the end of the year, a blank map in which you had to know every body of water, major body of water, mountain range, country, and its capital in the world. Yeah, um, I play trivia with a group of friends. I have no geography skills, do I, guys? <laughs> like, they don't even look at me when that stuff comes up. I'm terrible at it. Study. Obviously, it didn't stick. It was something that I have to learn. I have to get through this necessary drudgery in order to come out on the other side and show something. When I was talking with Michael about my notes... When I said, study, what do you think of? He goes, I think of a room in a house that nobody goes into, right? Or, or maybe you think of Mrs. Peacock with the candlestick in the study. If you're a millennial, you may not get that. It was a game called Clue, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fun stuff. I don't consider myself a millennial. Maybe the world does, but I don't. Study, what do you think of? In college, I had a friend, and he took this thing called art history. I didn't even know there was such a class as art history. His friend, his name's Brian, one of my closest friends, he would come home and talk about art history in such a way that it almost made me interested. He would talk about it, and it would, yeah, right? I studied Van Gogh, and now I know why he painted this this way and the moods that he was in and why the colors came out. And there was this passion behind it because he was interested in what he was studying. I would rather watch paint dry than take art history. But for him, he was engaged in it, and it drew something out of him and caused him to see art in a different way. Study is a powerful tool in our lives, and there's a scriptural invitation to it. So I'm going to read a bunch of Bible verses for all you who love the Bible, and we're going to start in 2 Timothy. Now, if you got the old King James Version, um, it would say, study to show yourself approved unto God in 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 16. I'm going to read out of the ESV. It's got the same kind of idea behind it. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Study, do your best to show yourself approved unto God. It's this invitation into this idea of study. You can turn over to Luke chapter 10, or it may get floated up there on the screen if we are lucky enough for that this morning. Luke 10, verse 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This one's going to be a little longer. We're going to turn over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you've received Christ, if you know Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then he goes on to continue to talk about what the life looks like in Christ. Just two more. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And finally, Philippians, which I lost my tag, good for me, chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers or brothers and sisters, what is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And Paul just briefly goes on and says, and what you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Study. What is the discipline of study? In Foster's book, he talks about it like this. Study is a specific kind of experience in which through careful attention to reality, the mind is enabled to move in a certain direction. Study, let me read that again. This is a specific kind of experience in which through careful attention to reality, the mind is enabled to move in a certain direction. God knows, as he created our minds, how they function, how they operate, and how actually when we begin to think things, we move and walk in that direction. That's why in Deuteronomy 11.18, he said, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The purpose of study is to direct your mind repeatedly and regularly towards certain modes of thought about God and human relationships. That is the purpose of study. That's why we dig in and spend time in the scriptures. Close reading, critical analysis, memorization, all have something to do with the spiritual discipline of study. And we're called to understand not just what a subject generally means, but then as we look at scripture, how does this get into my life and begin to change me, work in me, move through me? Studying the word of God is not like cramming for a test, but it ought to actually get inside of us and begin then to flow out from us in a changed kind of way. So we ask the question, why, why do we study? Church, why, why do you gather here week in and week out on a Sunday? And I know you have relationship. I know we get to sing songs and praise God and all join in that chorus as one, but we're also taking in his word, studying it, unpacking it, seeing what it looks like. Donald S. Whitney says, the aim at replacing old destructive habits of thought with new life-giving habits. This is why we study. This is why we study. Replacing old destructive thought patterns. Think about how you think about life. You like that? Think about how you think about life. And replacing it with new helpful thought patterns. This is really big for me. Because I know how I react when things don't go well. Uh, We had negative seven up at our place this last week. And I go into the shower and turn on the water. And all of a sudden, everything stops. And all my wife hears is, 
Jess, Jess, Jess. I am in full-blown panic freak-out mode in that second. Running water terrifies me. Water stops terrifies me. Terrifies me. And sure enough, stops. I look at her, and then I calmly go, it's going to be okay. We'll thaw it out. It's going to be okay. And then I asked her later on, how would I have reacted a year or two ago in that situation? Oh, you would have been an absolute disaster. You would have been digging up pipes. You would have been doing all this stuff. You would have been crazy. All right, what's gone on? I begin to change ways I'm thinking. I'm working on this myself here. This is what study does. Whitney goes on and says, nowhere is the purpose more clearly seen than in the discipline of study. The mind is renewed by applying it to those things that will transform it. The mind is renewed by applying it to those things that will transform it. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, all right? There's an importance to knowing the truth, to studying it, to being aware of it. Why, why is that? As we study, it's to know God and to know yourself. This is truly important. I know when we come to church, one of the primary functions that we seek to do is to know God, his nature, his character, to delve into who he is. But part of knowing God is also knowing who you are. And through study, I think a lot of us begin to understand the character and the nature of God, but we absolutely give disregard to the reality of who am I? Who does the scriptures declare me to be? And it's only when we begin to understand ourselves have knowledge of ourselves, and at that correct and right knowledge of ourselves, and then we apply this knowledge of who God is, we begin to see change happen in our lives. Foster says the ingrained habits of thought are formed, will conform to the order of things being studied. What we study determines the kind of habits that are going to be formed. And so we have to ask this question of who am I? And I've got this great Slide, I never do these, right? We're going to put up the ones that Brett never does? Yeah. All right, that's like a Carson Michael slide, isn't it? Yeah, it's good stuff. So none of us invented this slide. Um, this comes from Dallas Willard. And what I want us to see in this, who we are as humans. So what we see as who we are is this outer ring represents the soul. This is the personified person of everything in those inner rings, of who you are, how you act, how you relate to the world around you, to God, and to yourself. So when I speak of soul in this moment, don't go simply inward, though the soul is talking about the complete entirety of a person, but it's also the person that's being projected outward to the world. Soul is what you see of me, what you know about me, and you're like, Brett's the guy that is, and you can fill in whatever narrative you created about me. That's cool, all right? You can discuss it at lunch, whatever. That is what happens when you see something in someone. Now, what makes up who am I? You have this social aspect. It's this rootedness in others, a way in which we were created to be. We're going to relate to others, but more importantly, how we relate to God as well. Then you move into body. It's the focal point of our presence, the physical and social presence in the world around us. So after that, you have mind, and when we think about mind, thought and feeling go together, right? How many times do people ask you, when they want to know how you're feeling, do they ask you, how are you thinking? Who, who asked that? No one. But truly, how you're thinking is how you're feeling. 
These two things are intrinsically, they're going to be tied together. Our thoughts, what we're feeling, move in companionship with one another. Then you see the will, the spirit, the heart. That is the inner man. Now, what we see in this chart, which is amazing, is the word of God comes from the outside and moves into a person. So it's breaking into your personhood. It's breaking into how you relate to God, to others, how you relate to yourself, what you think, into your heart then. Then the goal is is that it shoots back out into the world, into what you think about, what you feel, your body, how you act, react. How you relate to others, your entire personhood, which is then projected back out into the world. And we know that a life away from God is ordered in such a way in which we don't care about God at the priority, at the top, but we're thinking about our body, ourselves, and we order our lives under what feels good, what feels right, what we think is most important. But getting ourselves rightly ordered under God, where he is first, begins to then project a different kind of life out into the world. Who are we? That's who we are. Very important chart for us to come back to again and again and again. And what this has to do with study today is what you dwell on, what you think about, what you have coming into you is truly what's going to go back out into the world around us. Thought and action, they're intertwined. They go together. The question we have to ask is, How are we thinking today? When we think, or as we've studied, which influences our thinking, what kind of things are going into us than to be pushed back out? And as Philippians said, brothers, sisters, whatsoever things are pure and honest, and he gives this whole list, he says, think on these things. Why? Study is a central way in which God changes us. It is. Let me say this again. Study is a central way in which God is going to change you. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the key to every man is his thought. Study, excuse me, sturdy and defying though he look. He has a helm which he obeys, which is the idea after which all his facts are classified. He can only be reformed by showing him a new idea which commands his What's he saying? He's saying, you have all these presuppositions. You have all of these thoughts already built up in you around scripture, around God, around church, around relationship, around your body, around sexuality, around marriage, around money, around generosity. We all, through our environment, have been formed, whether it's through your upbringing, your family structure, your place of origin, the schools you went to, the college you attended, what you even do for work now, we're constantly being formed by these things. Now, if we're going to have change in our lives, there has to be some new thought that enters into our lives that begins to then adjust our way of thinking, which then adjusts the way we act and behave in the world around us. But only by a stronger thought, only by this outward influence is that ever going to happen. Therefore, study is a central key to knowing yourself. Study is a central key to perceiving the world around us. If you want to change, you have to know there's something that needs to be changed in the first place. How are you going to draw that conclusion? How are you going to come to that idea? Through 
study. Dallas Willard said, the gospel of Jesus directly repudiates all false information about God and therewith, about the meaning of human life, and it works to undermine the power of those ideas and images that structure life away from God. But for it to have its effect, we must use our ability to think. This is what the gospel does. That's a lot of heady kind of information. What does this actually look like or mean? Just take a simple instruction given in Scripture, one in which I think the entire world would gravitate towards and hold on to. Scripture says we're instructed to love, right? Love one another. Okay? Even deeper, Jesus says to love your enemies. Very difficult to do. Even deeper than that, we're told to bless those who persecute us. To love in such a way that when you harm me, my reaction is blessing, not harm back. That's incredibly tough to do. Why? Our intrinsic nature is self-preservation. You hurt me, I hurt you. Right? That's on a negative end. On a positive end, you give me a gift, I'm going to give you a gift back. We always feel that pressure around certain holidays, right? Oh my gosh, why did they give me a gift? Now I got to go figure something out. Okay? Our nature is to respond in those ways, to not let somebody outdo us, not let somebody one-up us, or to retaliate when they hurt us. Typically in that negative sense, if you hurt me, I go into some kind of defensive mode. Right? And I think, all right, you're going to harm me with your words. One of the ways I can get back at you is to harm you with my words or to remove my presence from you. Therefore, you're, therefore you'll know I'm hurt, and I know that, well, you should know that I know that you said something about me. So I remove myself from you, verbal or nonverbal. Our way is one of retaliation, and it may be ugly, but that is true. But when the gospel gets into us, when we study and we see how Jesus says, this is what you are to look like, this is the kind of people you're to be, when we contemplate his word and we get it into our souls that you hurt me, I'm going to love you back, that knowledge can begin to change us. When we know one's end, when we know the reality that God is judge, we can trust his judgments in the present and in the future. The more we know about God, the easier it is for us to let things go, even if people have hurt us, and then to actually pray for their good when they brought harm to our lives. I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of person that doesn't retaliate, but blesses when somebody hurts me, when somebody comes against me. I love the kind of person that the Gospels describe. And I want to grow into that person. But it just doesn't happen magically, and we don't just drift towards it. Through study, we begin to see, as we look at the life of Jesus, what it looks like, what you might go through if you try to actually live this way. To where we don't retaliate, but we pray. We don't hurt, but we love. And through study, we begin to be changed and transformed as we see him showing others mercy, love, and kindness. This is how study changes us. This is how study moves in us. Because our thoughts are our most basic source of our life. They're going to determine the direction you go, the path you walk down. Foster says, 
the mind will always take on an order that conforms to the order of whatever it concentrates on. What does your mind concentrate on? What do you think about? Where does it go the moment somebody comes at you? Or where does it go when somebody else succeeds? Do you rejoice with them? Right? What are we concentrating on? Now, how do we study? Right? There's all the like information behind study. There's some motivation to it of why this is good. God is going to change and transform and work in you. But how do we study? First of all, as Michael's going to teach on here pretty soon, meditation, um, and I'm not talking Eastern mysticism, but like Psalm 1, meditation literature, meditation is not study. It's more devotional. Opening the scriptures, Lord, what do you have for me today? Study is more analytical. Meditation might relish on a word or spend time on it. Study will, may butcher this word because it's not mine, but explicate it. Although meditation and study will often overlap, they are two distinct experiences of what you're actually doing when you go to study. Study is not, or excuse me, meditation is, is a casual read maybe of the scriptures where a study is intently looking at it. So what that means is reading is not studying. No, lots of readers, but they haven't actually studied. I love reading the scriptures. I love reading books. But that doesn't mean I've necessarily studied them or looked at them in the way in which study should take place in order for me to see what I need to see in it. So it's a good process. So for our church, here's an invitation that I, I want to invite you in as we're going to close out here. You see the points that are going to come up, and so that's like a five-minute ordeal. But here's what I want to invite you into. This idea of disciplined reading. If you're not a study person, if you're a person who thinks studying is a drudge, if you're like, I just kind of want to have this easygoing relationship with Jesus, I just want to read my Bible and have him drop a nugget in my lap and be all happy and life is good, I don't really want... Let me just challenge you with this. Disciplined reading. Because many who read never study. Studying is more, but it at least starts with reading. Okay? And where this begins in this idea of study is four steps. Number one is repetition. My old pastor used to always say, repetition is the mother of all learning. Peter wrote to the church, it doesn't grieve me to remind you of these things. If you had children, how often do you have to remind them to not run by the pool? All the time. Repetition, because you're going to slip and get hurt. Lo and behold, they slip and get hurt. Repetition, I'm going to keep teaching you. If you want to be someone who is good at studying, repetition is important. Why? Ingrained habits of thought happen through repetition. Ingrained habits of thought. If we want to conform our mind to Jesus, if we want to train our mind to think about Jesus, if we want to be the kind of person that reacts in a certain way when things happen in our lives, repetition, studying it over and over again, gets it into our thought pattern, our mental map, our thought process, and then it begins to play out. Most of you have probably three or four ways to drive home to your house from work. You typically take the same one every single time, right? It's almost an effort to go the different way to get to your house. And if your spouse is driving and they don't do it like you, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm looking at you, hon. <laughs> She's 
she went this complete other way when I took a phone call in the car and she had to drive. Oh, man, I'm like on the phone and also dying at the same time. Like, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go that way. What are you doing? What's your mental map telling you? Repetition. Repetition, repetition. It ingrains it into your mind. If you're going to study well, concentration. Concentration. This is the most distracted age on the face of the planet. Ding, ding, ding. I'm at dinner. I don't even have my phone on me, and I'm looking. Is that mine? Is somebody texting me? Does somebody want to get a hold of me? Oh, my goodness. So we are incredibly distracted. And if you actually want to study, you're going to have to put a certain space, a certain place, some boundaries around that. Your home is probably not going to be the best place to study because if you're like me, you're going to need to fix that, work on that. The kid needs a peanut butter sandwich. Like You just start going through the things that need to happen, and our minds are so easily distracted. If you want to study well, repetition, go over it again and again and again, concentration. Number three, comprehension. It is the knowledge, it is the knowledge of the truth that sets us free understanding what scripture actually says, comprehending what's being talked about. One of the maybe greatest value points or best resources that I've gained from comprehension is the Bible project. And in the way in which they unpack ideas and thoughts, and I go, oh my goodness, I finally get it. You ever been there? I finally get it. We buy something new and it's got 10,000 parts. The first thing I do, believe it or not, as a rule follower, is get out the instructions. The first thing my wife does is walks away. (laughs) She's like, I'm not having any part of this. And I read it, and I read it, and I'm looking over it, and then I pull all the pieces out, and I finally see it all, and I go, I get it. I comprehend it. I know how to put this together, I think, now, right? In the scriptures, when you see patterns being played over and over again, like, In Genesis 3, when it says that Eve, she saw with her eyes, she took for herself, all right? This same language is played out with Abraham and Hagar. He saw Hagar when he didn't have what he wanted, a child. He saw her. He took her. And then we see the ramifications and the outfall of that. It's a repetitive theme in scriptures, this idea of seeing and taking for ourselves. And the light goes off because you've comprehended it. When you comprehend it, it makes sense as to why you ought to live it or walk in it or put it together. Finally, reflection. If you're going to study well, you're going to have to think about what you studied on. Most people just like put it away, not a second thought. Like, ah, oh, at least I got my time in with Jesus. It's all good now. What about reflection, journaling, writing, discussing? reflecting on it. These are four just simple tools when you sit down and you say, I want to go a little deeper. I want to study. I want to know what God has to say in this passage or in this way. So just some practical steps to close on as we finish out. Remove distractions. And if your family is like, they're the distraction, you need to remove yourself because you can't ask them to just leave, right? Remove distractions. Highlight, underline, take notes, pay attention Don't approach texts like you already know them. 
if you're really studying, check cross-references and footnotes. Outline chapters in the Bible. Write a little summary on what's going on in it. Think about it for yourself. Reread it multiple times. When your mind wanders, bring it back to the text. Look for words that are repetitive in sections of Scripture and think, why was Paul, Jesus, Peter, why was Moses saying the same thing over and over again? Note themes like, hey, Jesus was in the wilderness as Moses was in the wilderness. One succeeded, one failed. Why was that? These are helpful tips on what it looks like to study. Let's pray. Lord, admittedly, as we know, study is such a powerful tool to change us. Many of us struggle with it. Just to even set aside the time, the place, the distractions, to really get into what you're saying and speaking to us, be it through scripture, other authors, teachings, just even looking at the world and how it functions and cause and effect. I pray that we would be a group of people that create more space for this and that would truly be interested in what you want to say and how you said it and what that means for our lives. We know there's so much for us in this discipline. So grow us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What we're going to do now is we're going to respond to the Lord. And as we respond to the Lord, we're going to do it through singing. We're going to do it through a small meal of breaking of bread in which you can come forward if you're a follower of Jesus or there's a little bit in the back as well. And hold on to that. After this first song, we'll pray over it with one another. There's an offering box to give to what God is doing here at the church But but what I want us to take away from this is this opportunity to reflect on study, even as we sing. Why do we sing? That is study. Why do I feel the way that I feel when we do this? That is an aspect of study. What is God saying in this moment? And see how he wants to break into our lives and begin to change us and move us as we go out into the world around us. Let's worship the Lord now together.